Hello, everyone. Today, I talk with Aid McCormack, an international consultant and speaker on digital transformation. Aid and I talk about cities and sociology, anthropology, urbanism, the evolution of data privacy and data governance. Hello, Aid. Oh, hi. Uh, my name's Aid McCormack. I'm a former technologist who today is focused on helping organizations and societies thrive in the digital age. I've worked in about 40 different countries and, and you know, discovering new countries each year, so very global. I grew up in central London and now live just outside of it. With the density of the population falling dramatically as you move away from London, uh, the services are different, the amenities are different, you know, there's not many theatres in the countryside, so to speak. So, uh, but what we are starting to see is as more people are doing service-based work, they can work from home. So you might say there's a, there's a little bit of an exodus away from uh, the city. It's interesting because some statistics say there's a rapid urbanization. The United Nations is forecasting 75% of the world population will be in cities by 2050. At the same time, there is that uh, exodus, as you mentioned, it's maybe enabled by technology to a degree, right? I, I, yes, and I think it's also the evolution of where the society is. So we've had an industrial era and that drew lots and lots of people into the cities because they had to go there for the factories. But as you move into the tertiary and quaternary uh, economies, so to speak, the need to be um, in a particular physical building uh, is no longer the, the case. But in emerging economies where they're perhaps to some extent almost entering an industrial era, and, and or if you like, the people are moving away from a, an agricultural economy, so they need to go to the city to get access to broadband and so on to get into that service economy. So, I, you know, I suspect the majority of the planet is uh, growing their cities, but I think we will get to peak cities, and to some extent, I think we're getting towards peak cities in the, let's call it, developed world. So I think the the interest, in my view, should move from smart cities to smart regions. I presume that 5G is going to change a lot of things, as some of those services uh, that we are used to in cities will be available in, in the countryside. Yes, I think um, 5G is an interesting one. It's it's being promoted quite heavily. It's not obvious to me as a consumer uh, what the benefits of 5G are because, you know, I can only watch a video at a certain speed um, and it's not offering holographic, you know, virtual conferencing or anything at this stage. But um, a lot of the 5G benefits are in the infrastructural piece um, uh, enabling smarter cities. And I go beyond smarter cities and, 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 and start to talk about intelligent cities that, you know, are, if you like, AI driven. So for me, cities are unnatural, but compelling. I mean, the, the, you know, access to amenities and diversions, uh, it, you know, fantastic. But we're not sort of really designed to live on top of each other, uh, so to speak. We have adapted in many respects. 
but I feel in adapting we're having to suppress aspects of our human nature which ultimately are not healthy. That said, um, smart city uh, planners are doing as much as they can within the constraints of an existing city to make them, if you like, uh, citizen-centric uh, as opposed to, if you like, car or transportation uh, of goods-centric. And the options to do that are quite limited in the developed world, but in places like China where they're, you know, building cities from scratch, that you know, they've got great options there in terms of uh, building cities for a post-car world, for example, and building cities that, if you like, stimulate um, cognitive flow amongst people and the sense of um, safety and satisfaction and connection with other citizens. People were drawn to cities for work reasons, for healthcare, for prosperity, in seek of prosperity. Yes. I mean, I love the city and it's in my veins, so to speak. So I do need a very regular fix of going back into the city. Um, so in that respect, I'm wired for it. But I also see the, um, the cognitive benefits, if you like, of uh, living uh, outside the city. Aid, in your travels around the world, what have you observed in terms of cities' evolution? The later the city was created, the more ordered it is and the more scalable it is. Um, so London, for example, um, you know, a, a thousand years of evolution has these kind of weird street designs, uh, whereas somewhere like New York, which is a lovely grid-based system, very logical, you can easily identify um, meeting places and so on. So to some extent, you know, cities like London were designed for horse and cart type transportation, and it's been a kind of urban challenge to evolve to the you know, the, the car-based world we currently uh, live in. And I guess the way they've handled that is is to introduce things like congestion charges and, and so on. So I think, you know, it really depends on the age of the city. And, the, you know, if you go to somewhere like Milan, Milan makes London seem like a new town or Mexico City makes London seem like a, a village. Um, so it's all relative. Any city in particular has caught your mind or your heart? I do very much like Paris. It's, it's very accessible. You can kind of walk all around it. It's very grand. It, it points to a, a bygone era. And it's a city in transformation. I guess they are all in transformation. Paris has undergone a massive transformation towards sustainability. Have you observed those changes and this transformation towards a smarter and more sustainable city in, in other places? It's not obvious to me. I think the more overriding observation I make on arriving at a city is where is the country in its economic cycle? And that, to some extent, determines uh, the shape of the city. So, for example, a couple of years ago, I went to Buenos Aires, and it, again, is a very kind of impressive uh, architecturally, but because it was on an economic tailspin, you know, the pavements were cracked and, and the place was kind of falling apart. 
Now, that, you know, whether they even have sustainability initiatives or smart city initiatives, I don't know. But there were some, if you like, more fundamental issues that they had to deal with. So I think that, I think the overarching architecture of the uh, economy is, is probably the bigger determinant as to the, the progress that a, a given city makes in terms of its uh, move towards smartness and transformation. There is uh, certainly a dimension of uh, economical uh, evolution in the smartness of a city. Uh, at the same time, there is there is many challenges cities have to face uh, in times of urbanization, such as mobility, pollution, inclusiveness of those which are the most vulnerable. What are some of the best practices that you would uh, recommend to someone from a city? Let's imagine I had an Aston Martin car. I might drive around thinking I'm James Bond, um, but people increasingly will be looking at me saying he's an idiot. Uh, he's insecure. He's burning the energy just because he's a narcissist, etc., etc. So what we're going to, what we're starting to see, I think, is almost a backlash against conspicuous consumption, particularly conspicuous consumption that is damaging to the planet. So I think that's got its own momentum. I think um, city planners and so on could just, you know, accelerate that by, if you like. Uh, engineering what's considered a social norm. Maybe some uh, learnings for Aston Martin if they're listening. Having an electric car could be in their future. AIDS, any uh, final thoughts? Uh, we have to establish what's an acceptable level of, if you like, data sharing. Because the more data we share, the more personalized our city experience could be. Um, but of course, Uh, the assumption is is that the um, let's say the city leaders have our best interests at heart. And data used to be static data, and now increasingly with technology, we get access to dynamic data uh, that enables a city to potentially repurpose or restructure itself as events occur. Uh, is that frightening or is that inspiring? Um, I think that's just reality. You know. Um, sometimes you you'll see a, a, a thriller uh, drama on TV, and you'll see the um, intelligence services looking at people walking down the street, and they've got this little square around them showing data associated with that person. The reality is, we all walk around with a comic tale of data coming off of us, and that could be related to uh, you know the personal analytics device we're wearing. So it's literally real time, plus the other more static data in terms of, you know, where we were born and, and where we studied and so on. So that is a reality. Uh, the question is, to what extent that data is ours and ours to share? And I think that's a debate that needs to be taken at the highest levels. In London, you have, as far as I can recall, around 600,000 CCTVs. <laughs> Do you feel, as a citizen, threatened or protected? Protecting us from terrorism and, and protecting our privacy is a tricky one. Uh, the challenge, of course, is that terrorism is, is, in the grand scheme of things, relies on very small acts. Um, low cost, 
low impact, but it was high impact in terms of the, the terror it cultivates. Now, I know I'm on shaky ground here, but what I'm getting to is the citizen experience. And if the citizen experience is one that's based on fear and layers and layers of security and, and governance, then it starts to become questionable as to what the benefits are of residing in a city. Talents are becoming global and they're almost becoming digital nomads, ready to go to wherever the, the environment is going to be suitable for the aspirations that they have. Would you say that cities are therefore becoming global while being defined by a geographical uh, space? They are a global entity because they are reaching out to talents uh, to drive their economical growth. Well, I, I think one of the mega trends that we're seeing is there's a war for talent and that war for talent has been going on for some time. It's becoming more acute. So despite the arrival of the robots and the algorithms, there is a class of worker who sells their cognitive capacity and those people are very much in demand. What we're starting to see is those people gravitating to certain urban areas around the planet. Silicon Valley would be a prime example of this. So what's starting to happen is that the best talent are gravitating to certain areas of the world. So we're going to start to see, if you like, uh, talent mega hubs around the world. So if I'm a, a, a responsible for a city's uh, ongoing development, I need to make sure that my city is going to be one of those talent uh, mega hubs. And to do that, you need to provide an environment where the citizen or the, or the worker perceives that they're getting the best uh, return on their tax dollars. Once you attract the best people, the best employers will follow. And those uh, cities that cannot attract the best employers and the best talent, they will become economic backwaters. And invariably what happens when you have the best people, uh, the high value people with the high value organizations, then you start to get the high value amenities and then that tends to boost the tourist trade. So it, you get into a, a virtuous circle. So I'm not sure every city gets this, but there literally is a race to become one of the major players on the planet. Aid McCormack, thank you very much. Thank you, Pierre.